guys. It's funny, when, when you, you hug a man as he comes into church and say, love you, it's, it's weird, isn't it? Attitude and uh, character, so very important. Attitude and character. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we read these words. Paul says, and we all, with unveiled faces, reflect the Lord's glory. We are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I'm going to seem a bit slow to get started, but uh, just bear with me when I get into what I want to say. But just to, just to lay some foundation. This is such an amazing and uh, encouraging fact that the Holy Spirit's presence and activity in every moment of our everyday lives is this, to conform us, to transform us, bit by bit, degree by degree, into the likeness and the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? How do you think you're doing on that process? The older we get, the more we should be more like Jesus. In our attitudes, in our thinking, in our actions, in every part of our lives. Let me ask you again, how do you think you're doing in that process of the Holy Spirit transforming you? All of the Holy Spirit's promptings, all of his nudges, all of his stirrings, all of his challenges that he brings and the counsel that he brings and the cheerleading that he brings to our lives are for the purpose of making us more Christ-like. Amen? Amen? The character of Christ, it is so important. And the more that we genuinely surrender to the Holy Spirit and fellowship with him as we're called to and partner with him, the more that spiritual formation happens in our lives, causing us to walk more as Jesus walked and to see things more as Jesus saw things and to feel things like Jesus feels things. And then by the grace of God to be able to minister as Jesus ministers with compassion and authority. The very one with whom my life is molded to be like said these words, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. When he walked on this earth, the Lord Jesus knew and he felt deeply and he saw every single day of his life the lostness of people all around him. He saw it and felt it so intensely. They were sheep without the shepherd. Blind, leading blind. People, multitudes of people, day in and day out, he saw shackled in their sinful nature. And so it's very pertinent for me to ask myself, since I'm supposed to walk as he walked, what do I see? As I go through my daily life, what do I feel inside? What is my attitude, particularly to lost people, people away from Christ all around me. Matthew 24, Jesus, at the end of Matthew 24, Jesus is doing some teaching about the end times, signs of the end of the age. And he says this, because of the increase of wickedness in the end times, the love of most, the love of most will grow cold or wax cold. The love of most people growing cold. All that care and concern, that empathy and compassion towards others will be withered away in the end times because of the increase of wickedness. I don't know about you, but I, uh, I think there's so much anger around nowadays, don't you? A volatility in society, a lot of finger pointing, a lot of character assassinations, verbal and physical aggression. I said 
to the earlier congregation, and I think I'll need to say it to you, you don't see many happy faces around anymore, do you? I, I look at people as I walk around, and uh, they've got sad eyes, they've got drooping shoulders, they've got furrowed brows. And there seems to be, to me anyway, an underlying unrest in society. The slightest thing can cause a massive upset or an outcry. Too many people have too short a fuse nowadays. Do you agree with that? It's how I feel. I'm amazed at how many people I've come across recently that unashamedly say they love their pets more than people. There may be some in the congregation tending to feel a little bit like this. But so many people voicing venom against people that they disagree with. So many people are fanatically frustrated with the establishment. They trust nobody and nothing. They've grown demoralized with people. And I think that's what's going to happen towards the end. The love of most will wax cold. Growing demoralized with people, disengaging ourselves from the growing bad state of things. And we in church, we're not immune to this. Because of the increase of wickedness, we need to be careful and watchful. Our attitude can change, and quite dramatically, treating people as losers instead of the lost. Viewing people as needing a good slap, rather than saving. The conversations that you hear all around you nowadays, and the postings on social media, the conduct of so many in positions of authority, just shout out clearly to us afresh that there is a poverty of spirit at large. Amen? A lostness. So I have to take a good look within myself, and I challenge you to do the same. What's your present position when it comes to lost people out there that we walk amongst every day? Is my love for people diminishing? Is it growing cold in any way? What sort of comments are coming out of my mouth at this moment in my life, this moment in your life? And if it doesn't come out of your mouth, what's the inner attitude towards politicians, towards policymakers or educationalists, people of other faiths and belief systems, that overbearing work colleague? I did stress this morning, service, that there's no overbearing work colleagues here at BCC, just to make that clear. But with people, you can get disgruntled and dismissive so easily nowadays because of their beliefs or their behavior. Friends, there is a lostness all around us, and Jesus came to seek and to save lost people. When I think of evangelism, or reaching the lost, or caring for people far away from Christ, uh, I, I, I tend to, my mind brings up um, great evangelists that I've heard of, or seen, or read about, uh, that love people, really do love people, and reach out to other people, and uh, they inspire us, don't they? People like Billy Graham, he went to be with the Lord just over two years ago at the grand old age of 99. But he led tens of thousands of lost people to Christ. Reinhard Bonnke, that great German evangelist, he's just come to be with the Lord about four months ago, 79 years of age. He impacted millions of lost souls for Jesus Christ. When you used to get the CFAM, the Christ for All Nations newsletters, full brochures, colour brochures, he spoke to quarter of a million, half a million people at a time in his great evangelistic crusades. Do you remember, you remember Reinhard Bonnke, don't you? Do you remember his uh, clarion call? Africa will be saved! General w William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army, uh, towards the end of his life, he was unable to attend an international conference due to ill health, and so he sent the delegates a telegram. And the telegram just had one word on others. 
What a great love for lost people he had. Others. It's all about others. I think of the more local evangelist, Roger Carswell. Anybody remember Roger Carswell? Good friend to so many people here. I was once told about Roger Carswell that he would not go to bed on a night time unless he'd spoken to three people about Jesus that day. And if he realised he hadn't, he'd be out on the street before he went to bed to intentionally talk to somebody about the Lord. What a love for lost people he had. And some people he will remember going to Elim conferences years ago. The youth group at Bridge Street went to conference and they, they, were, they encountered this great lover of lost people by the name of Leonard Albert. And he spoke into our lives as young people. And he spoke about the Great Commission. Go ye into all the world and make disciples. And the title of his sermon that really just comes back to mind every time I think about evangelism and lost people. He says, where is the go ye gone? And I take that personally. Where is that call to go gone in my life? Is it still there? I think of the depth of love for lost people that people have carried in their hearts over their lifetime. People that really do love lost people. What an incredible love and heart for lost people the Apostle Paul had. That he could say, and not only say, but write, honestly, that if it were possible, if it were possible, he would allow himself to be separated and cut off from Jesus Christ if it meant that his countrymen could be saved, the Israelites. What an incredible passion for lost people, people separated from Christ. I have long since stopped putting myself on guilt trips. Or putting other people on guilt trips. I used to feel guilty when preachers preached about what we should be doing with evangelism. Those days have gone for me. And I'm not interested anymore in comparing myself to others. But I will allow myself to be stirred and to be challenged by others when it comes to regarding the heart for the lost. I have to tell you that I'm oft times uh, troubled with the stuff of life and the struggles of life like you and the busyness of life. And those things sometimes choke out a desire for reaching lost people. I remember Bill Hybels once saying to a group of leaders that every church should remember to lift high the value of evangelism on a regular basis. Why? Because it drops like this in our own personal lives. I know it does in my life anyway, that the value of lost people sometimes drops and goes way down the priority list and the agenda in my life because of life stuff and busy stuff. And sometimes my heart and my mind are somewhere else but thanks be to God, he always brings us back to this, doesn't he? To remember lost people. I'd like to just share a couple of things. And uh, I'd like to read Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. It's a familiar story. One day, Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer. It was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he held him up. Helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong and he jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and leaping and praising God. It's a great story, isn't it? 
what would you do? You've never walked for over 40 years in your life. What would you try to do with your legs? When all the people saw him walking and praising, well, he was jumping. They recognized him as the same man who used to sit outside begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is one of the happiest healings in the Bible as far as I'm concerned. It just makes me smile whenever I read it. I think it's so raw and honest and irreligiously unruly in the best sense. It thoroughly intrigues me. Now, like you, I've seen lots of massive evangelistic crusades. I've watched them on TV and YouTube, and I've been to some physically, personally, in my lifetime. I've seen the gloss and the glamour of these gigantic evangelistic crusades. They've got amazing lighting. They've got amazing music and choir. And the skilled administration, the, the administrative gift behind it all is fantastic. And I've been stirred in those meetings and watching those meetings. But those are a far cry from this amazing event at the beautiful gate. I'm not advocating it's one or the other. I'm not decrying either of them. But I'm blessed by the apparent randomness of the story. I love it. Peter and John were not playing catch-up. God hadn't just done something and they're trying to catch the spirit of the moment. They weren't carrying out some planned evangelistic program. It appears as though Peter and John were actually passing the man by. This man wasn't even at his familiar place of begging for arms yet. He was still being carried by his family or friends. And perhaps Peter and John were focused on the prayer meeting ahead that they were heading to. Maybe they were lost in the excitement of discussion about the events of the last days. They'd been filled with the Spirit. The Spirit had come powerfully upon the believers there. There was an excitement of what had happened there. They'd spoken in tongues. Fire had rested on each one of them. They'd seen 3,000 people baptized. No wonder they would have been lost in discussion. Almost not aware of who they're passing. What's going to happen at this prayer meeting now? And it's as though they're passing him by. They were passing him by. But God wasn't. Amen? It wasn't their idea to interact with this unfortunate lame man. It was God's idea. God has intentions. Our God has intentions towards every single human being. You've heard me say before, he's on everybody's case. He loves my family more than I love my family. He loves all the people across the face of the earth, every generation and every nation. It's our part to do our utmost to give attention to his intentions. Every single day of what we call our everyday life, all around us, we're passing people, lame people, in so many ways. They're waiting for something they don't know what. They're lacking something. They're hoping. They're longing for help or an answer or a way out or a miracle. I said in this first service, Halifax, that we've known so many suicides among young people in these last couple of years. It's unbelievable how many are just hopeless and ending their lives because they do not see a way out, a way through. We ought to be excited again. I hope we can get excited again about the fact that our Lord has intentions of interventions. Amen? He intends to intervene in so many lives. And the Gospels bear that out as you read the Gospels. And just a lonely, loveless woman at a well. Two blind men at the side of the road having to beg for a living. A demon-possessed self-harmer living amongst the tombs. 
a distraught, weeping woman who has to follow the coffin of her only son. Despised, diseased, disillusioned men and women. God, our God, has intentions of interventions. With who? With your neighbour, with your family member, with your work colleague, or with complete strangers that you come across. At times his interventions seem so random, but guys, that's what I like about the Lord. It adds to the excitement of every single day. You just don't know what's going to happen as you walk with the Lord. I I said it this morning again, and I say it again. When I come to church, on my way to church, I'm thinking about this congregation. What is the Lord going to do? What answer is he going to bring? What what pearl of wisdom or some, some great thought that will just set somebody free or a healing or being filled with the Spirit or something? A line of a song can just grab you. What's the Holy Spirit going to do? I get excited. Don't you get excited when you come to church about the possibility of what's going to happen with others? God intends to intervene into human lives and impact them in incredible ways. And I just need to keep being convinced about that. The more we get convinced, the more we pray, and the more we begin to minister with power and effectiveness. Do you believe what I believe, that the world needs to see greater things, don't you? To see signs of the kingdom. To see signs and wonders, to catch a glimpse of the kingdom. To see jaw-dropping stuff. Just like at the beautiful gate, Peter and John were committed to being what they needed to be. They were connected so strongly to the head. So strong was their connection to the head that this seemingly random moment as God's intention to intervene in the life and the body of a 40-year-old lame man, it reaches its zenith, there is a moment of invitation. And God graciously invites Peter and John to participate in the miracle, to share the miracle. And they can because they're so strongly connected and committed. Can you be encouraged this morning, church, by this fact that the Lord has intentions to intervene among your family and your friends and your neighbours and strangers? Can you also be equally encouraged and emboldened by this fact that as surely as the Lord invited Peter and John to participate, he invites each of us to participate. Reaching people, lost people, hurting people. It's the family business. It's the family business. Finally, let me plant a very simple visual for you to carry home. I'll apologise for this visual now. Because some theologians here and clever people will think, it doesn't really work that. But I got this visual a number of years ago. I had the privilege of speaking at our Boston Spa Church. And just to share some thoughts about the wonderful, wonderful ministry of the Holy Spirit. And as I was in prayer, this prop came into mind. And an explanation of it. So I need to say that if you don't feel this prop works for you in your brain... Fitting with your theology. Don't take it up with me. Just take it up with the Holy Spirit, will you please? Because uh, I was in prayer when he gave me this. Here's the prop. Here's the prop. Here it is. You know what it is, don't you? It's a funnel. It's a funnel. And this came into mind, and uh, a thought came with it as well, and it was this for us as Christians, believers. Do not be content just with drip, drip, drip from the Holy Spirit into your daily life. Don't be content with that and think that's just all right. So when things 
Do you know, sometimes we're not in fellowship with the Holy Spirit in, in such a dynamic way that we could be, and the scriptures show that we could be. Sometimes we just don't walk close with him or fellowship with him or talk with him enough. But, you know, then something goes wrong in life and it didn't turn out how you wanted it and it's, you're disappointed. And so you, you ask the Holy Spirit just for a little bit of comfort, drip, drip. Just to, to get you through and to get you over this thing that's disappointed you. Or you may find that your prayer life is just getting a bit stale and you don't know what to pray for. And so it's right, the scriptures say the Holy Spirit will show you, but drip, drip, drip. Or you need some patience because of that person who's rubbing you up the wrong way. And so say, Lord, just help me, Lord. And you're happy just for a drip, drip, drip. And the Holy Spirit says, don't settle for that don't be content with that a bit of comfort a bit of consolation and this is what he showed me that instead of settling for that drip 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 he wants to invite us up into his reservoir where there's fruit where there's powerful ministry where there's all sorts of things that he wants to show you he wants to show you the mind of christ he wants to show you from the scriptures some powerful things that will help you live as you really do want to live. And up as we come into his ministry. It's like he's inviting us on board. Into what he's doing. The Holy Spirit isn't here for us. Just to drip into our lives. To make it more comfortable or bearable. Or get through things. He's inviting us up into his reservoir. Into what he's doing. He wants to open to us the mind of Christ. He wants to move all over. Like the wind. He wants to convict people of their sin. That's his ministry. He wants to show them their need for a saviour. And then he wants to point people to Jesus through people like me and you. And he invites us to get on board this exciting life and not just be happy for the drip, drip, drip. He's doing amazing things across this planet. He has intentions of intervention. You see all this best in the book of Acts. It's the book of action. We call it the Acts of the Apostles. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit with the Apostles. And they were invited into his reservoir of supernatural ministry. I'm not bothered if you don't like that illustration. And it, it fails in so many parts. But if one person goes away from here and they just remember that red funnel there. And they begin to pray, Lord, I want to be invited. I want, you to, I want to come into, I want to experience what you're doing with regards to lost people around me. I want to present myself to you. They were invited, the apostles, into the supernatural ministry and they were empowered to deliver the kingdom. And lost were found and friends, they were found in their thousands. Amen. Amen. The Holy Spirit has intentions of interventions. And do you know what it needs from us? It, it needs a yes. Yes, I, I want to be involved in reaching the lost. I know I should be. I've known it all the years of my life. I know sometimes I feel challenged that I'm not and I compare myself with others sometimes. But What's needed is a yes from us. Yes, I want to be involved more. And yes, I'm ready and sensitive to your prompting. I'd like to be able to say to you, I'm always in that yes place, but I have to say I'm not. The truth is I get bogged down and I get distracted with stuff and my heart and mind and attention are elsewhere, like I've said earlier. And I lose sight of lost people and the value of evangelism begins to drop in my life on my priority list. Anybody know that feeling? And it needs to be raised up again. It disappears with my priority list. But you know, thank God he gets hold of us and he stirs us again towards evangelism. And all it needs from us every day is a yes to the Holy Spirit. Yes to the Holy Spirit. And I want to, you know, 
But I just want to reiterate that when you have that yes in you each day, things begin to happen. More things begin to happen. Doors open. Significant conversations start. The Lord sets you up with a complete stranger, perhaps. The thing that you you never thought. And things begin to happen that are quite jaw-dropping. If we were to share our testimonies, all of us here, there's some jaw-dropping things that have happened. I want to close just with telling about a jaw-dropping experience that I had. Karen Riley's mum introduced me to a lady one day, a colleague of hers from work. It was just a brief passing. She introduced me, and uh, then she introduced her friend to me. We just swapped names and had a smile, that's all. Some weeks later, out of the blue, I was urgently invited to this lady's house. I sat with her in her lounge. She was unconsolable. She was distraught, traumatised and tearful. Why? Because her husband had just admitted to her that he was having an affair with a colleague of his. Not only that, but above us, where we sat in the lounge, he was actually packing his bags ready to leave the family home. I began to talk to her about a whole number of things. I was very blunt with her and uh, very honest with her, and especially about the devastating and spoiling nature uh, sin has on our human nature. As I talked with her, the door opened, and her teenage son walked in. He didn't acknowledge us, he just stood at the back of the room, in the shadows, with his back to the wall, listening to what I was saying to his mum. To my surprise, the door opened again, and into the room came the husband. He said nothing, he didn't acknowledge me, he didn't say hello, there was no eye contact at all. He just very slowly started to sort through some of the papers that he wanted to take when he left the family home. That was a bit awkward. A bit strange, but I kept on talking to this lady about Jesus and about his saving power and life transformation. It was quite obvious as I was talking to her, she wanted to receive Jesus into her life. And I invited her to do so. And through tears, she agreed. And then, amazingly, the son at the back of the room stepped forward out of the shadows and he asked if he too could receive Christ into his life. I just sensed the Holy Spirit all over this thing. I was so excited inside. It, it, it was a spirit moment. But I was absolutely stunned when the husband lifted up his head, looked at me for the first time eye to eye, and asked if he too could receive Christ as his saviour. And the, the three of them sat on the sofa, sobbing their hearts out, holding hands, and allowing me to lead them in prayers of forgiveness and salvation. Little did I know when I got up that day, but I was in a good season of yes to the Holy Spirit. I'm not always there. I wish I was, but in that particular time, I was in a good season of yes to the Holy Spirit. Little did I know when I got up that day that the Lord had his eye, his sights on this family of three. He had intentions of intervention with three lives. And you know what? He invited me on board with what he was doing. Like many of you today, we've got lots of stories like that. That's one of my stories that came to mind as I was preparing for that. And uh, it's just an encouragement, really, to, to believe again that the Lord is on the move, the Spirit's on the move. Not to be happy just with a drip, drip, drip in your life, but to say, yes, I want to get on board. Lord, with what you're doing, wherever you're wanting to intervene, the Holy Spirit invites us up into his ministry. And we get to see people helped or healed, or delivered, and even born again of the Spirit. The joy that me and Karen's mum and others in the church had to see that whole family 
stood around communion table with us. Trophies of grace, the joy that we felt together. That family were about to disintegrate, probably break up forever. What does the hymn writer say? But Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. Friends, you say yes to the Holy Spirit again in these days. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you.